You know, it's wonderful when we run out of room on the back of our bulletins of prayer requests, not because we want there to, you know, be so much going on. You know, sometimes there's, there's joy in the quietness, but you know, when we have a God, since we have a God that we can lift up our prayers to, it's great to know that we can fill a page with our requests, know that every single one of them gets there. And that's not because I've got any magic power, any magic connection to God. It's because he says when we get together like this, when we pray together as a congregation, that that carries some weight up to him. But I never, ever want to take place of the prayer life you have at home, your opportunity to speak directly to God, because that is a part of the message of the cross, is that we have a God that we can have this personal, intimate, direct relationship with. So never miss an opportunity to speak to your Father who loves to hear from you. But as we are already halfway through the Advent season of preparation for the arrival of the Messiah, we we consider the second week's theme of love. Keeping with my commitment, again, to finish out this year referencing the nature of God as revealed through the books of the First Testament, we're going to view love as it relates to God the Father while still anticipating the arrival of Christ the Son. Now, we talked about it a little bit this morning. We, you know, we talked about arrival, and, and one of the things we briefly discussed was, was the role of John the Baptist. In fact, if you were to read Luke, the book of Luke, which is, a, to me, an easy read. I love how Luke wrote that, the, the gospel. It's just a nice and smooth story, and, and you'll go across there, and you'll find all these things like, oh, that's where it says that, and I remember that verse. And, but it really doesn't start with the story of Jesus as much as it starts with the story of John, because John was the one who came to make a way, to prepare the way to announce, announce the arrival. And, and Advent, in a lot of ways, is, is the season of, of what John did, as we prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. Advent, again, is, is that word, which means, you know, it's, it's the coming, the arrival, the arrival, and I love that word, arrival. There's no doubt that God loves us. It is the overarching theme throughout the Bible from creation to final judgment and everything in between either directly states that God loves you or is a reflection of his love for you. One of the things I I get to do as I volunteer throughout the week is is to mentor some classrooms and you get on this Zoom screen and, and you speak on a particular topic and and the teachers always like to kind of give a little bit of plug, you know, like what can they be doing now or differently to answer whatever this question. And, and this week was on citizenship and another one was on uh, getting ready for college. And I said something that I wish someone had told me and they probably did, but it felt a blind ear, blind ear, deaf ear. You can't hear with a blind ear. I don't Anyway, the um, is, is to read, to learn to read, to learn to enjoy to read. Okay, and that's something I've always struggled with. I enjoy reading for knowledge, but not for entertainment. And I said, learn to like to read. And that counts for us too, because if you want to read a good love story, open this book, right? If you want a recommendation for a good self-help book, open this book. If you want some words of encouragement, here you go. In fact, listen to the words found in Psalm 36, five through seven. It says, your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. I love that. And I love the visual image of that, the beauty and expansiveness of God's love, right? The high mountains, the 
the reaches to the fullness of the skies. This is just this dramatic image of praise. And verses like these are written by people like us. They experience God's love in their life and they witness it in the lives of others and they give praise. And this person wrote this down as a poem or a song in Psalms for generations to share. And it feels wonderful to be in those mountaintop moments, doesn't it? It feels good. Life's just clicking along. Things are going great. The pieces are falling into place. Life's good. But sometimes our faith feels strong just because our faith isn't particularly tested at that moment or hasn't been stretched in a while. And that's okay. It's okay. But we all know that there are times that we struggle to see the good in our life or in the life of others. And those mountaintop moments may seem unattainable at times. Several times in the past weeks, I talked about the cycle that the Israelites experienced. They went from periods of prosperity and joy and blessing to a place of exile. Hey, this is the promised land. We're kicked out of it now. We're, hey, we, you got us away from the Egyptians, but now we're, we're being held captive by the Babylonians. They were oppressed. They struggled to recognize that it was the consequence of their own sinfulness that caused their fall. And the Bible tells us they often cried out wondering, God, where are you? You delivered us multiple times, but he never abandoned them. But they cried out anyway, would he answer them? And if if he did, would they listen? I want to introduce you to the prophets. Now you may think of the prophet as this mystical, just, I don't know what you picture in your mind, but but we often think of a prophet just someone who sees the future, right? But a prophet is more accurately someone that is called by God and filled with God's spirit who spoke God's word to people. Now, sometimes this was about something that was gonna happen in the future. In some ways, these were actually preachers. In fact, when in, in Israel's history, when the kings and judges were, were um, you know, when they were, Trying to read my own wording here. But when they failed to govern justly, the kings and the, and the, the judges, when they didn't justly, or the priests became corrupt or giving the wrong message from what God had instructed, God raised up prophets to teach God's law and to teach God's wills. And some of these prophets certainly did their share of, of sharing the vision of the future. And others gave an explanation for a current situation reflecting on what had happened to bring about the circumstances that were presently occurring. You know, people cried out and they said, why? Why are we in this situation? And the prophet says, God says, I made you a promise and all I asked you to do was be obedient and loyal and faithful. And what did you do? You're worshiping other gods. Other prophets simply spoke as a mouthpiece of God. They, they spoke, they, they taught Now, Isaiah is a prophet whose name you're familiar with, and God sends him to warn Israel of future judgment. He begins the First Testament book of his name with a warning about the rebellious nature of God's people. In fact, in Isaiah 1, he says, woe to you, woe to you. Now, that's not a term we use very often, but that's like, you know, shame on you. Oh, I feel bad for you. You guys are horrible, corrupt. He writes in a, a rather scathing and direct conviction of their corruption. And this is both an explanation of why the Israelites found themselves and their circumstance, but also foretold what would happen if they didn't straighten up. The future isn't set. He's saying, look, you're going to be overrun and overtaken all this. But to paraphrase it greatly, he says, you need a savior. 
you need a savior. Now, when we hear the Christmas story, we assume that must be from the New Testament because, right, that's where we hear the story of Jesus. That's where Jesus was born. That's where he taught. and That's where he died. So we hear a Christmas story. It must be a New Testament story. That is, after all, where we read that. But the groundwork, the telling of the promise of the hope that is to come is found throughout the pages of the First Testament. Words as far back as Genesis speak of things that are accomplished through the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And since being removed from the garden and the intimate relationship we had with God, since that had been damaged, God, ever since that point, God has been at work trying to restore the relationship without defiling his own holiness. What can I do to reconnect with our people? And all these things along the way, we talked about these covenant promises that, that got from here to here and, and where we hope to be. But it's the prophet's words that reveal the need for restoration. And God, they also speak of God's commitment to this process. There are a lot of enjoyable holiday movies, and this is the time of year. You can turn your TV on and, and find all kinds of stuff. And some of my favorite movies aren't just the movies and specials about, but it's just the watching them with family, right? It's the sitting back and watching Elf, right? Not a classic, but becoming one possibly, you know, or Christmas Vacation, not because just it's funny, but how many of those situations can we really relate to? Does anybody have a Cousin Eddie? Is anybody the Cousin Eddie, right? That's, yeah, or have the, 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 the parent or maybe it's yourselves that have this over-idealized sense of what family should be. I'm kind of that way, aren't I? I just want the perfect. But what are, what are your, some of your favorites? Like, a really? Christmas story. A Christmas story. That was on last night. Yeah. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yes, yes. Because it's relatable. <laughs> Those are Home Alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, we've already watched Elf and we watched Die Hard. Arguably, not a Christmas movie, but some say it is. It was released on Christmas. That's. <laughs> and I remember joining the the magic of the Rankin Bass shows, right? The little claymation stop action Rudolph and Frosty and all that. But last night I got comfortable on the couch after I got beat badly by my niece at a game of Phase 10. Mm -hmm. And as I was sulking on the couch, we were watching It's a Wonderful Life. Wonderful Life. I love that movie. I love that movie. And it has a great message. It's heartwarming. And it's one of the few that even remotely mentions God. Right? But there is one class that reminds us. So it actually tells us what the true meaning of Christmas is. Remember this one? A Charlie Brown Christmas. We're all familiar with that monologue given by Linus during the Charlie Brown special. But I'm, for nostalgia's sake, I'm, I'm going to kind of put it in context. I will not do voices. I won't do anything. I'm just going to tell you what he says. But Charlie Brown had found that sad little tree that he just wanted to love, right? It was just basically a twig. And everybody was around there just giving him a hard time, right? What do they call him? A blockhead, Right? Because he had went and bought the dumbest tree, didn't buy the metal, the shiny, and the big ones. He just bought this little tree that needed love. And after everybody has ridiculed him, he says, Charlie Brown says, I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I don't really know what Christmas is all about. And then he exclaims, is there anybody who knows what Christmas is all about? And a little voice, Linus says, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And remember, he takes his blanket and he goes to the center of the stage and the spotlight. In fact, he actually, if I remember right, he says, lights, please. And here's what he said. 
And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you born this day in the city of David, a savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothing, clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Then Linus picks up his blanket and he just shuffles off stage. I mean, I know it's a cartoon. I know it's a cartoon. And Linus had just read the words of Luke 2, 8 through 14 to everyone sitting in front of their television, right? Every kid was hearing this and you remember those lines, right? It's subtle, it's powerful, and it's prophetic because the world needs to be reminded about God. The story that we know so well from the Gospel of Luke is a fulfillment of a prophecy. It was Isaiah who spoke the familiar words, Isaiah 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which we know to mean God with us. The life of Jesus fulfills many prophecies and very importantly, they reveal God's love. And as we reflect on Advent, which this week, the theme of love, it is the first Testament prophets that give us insight into God's loving nature from Jonah. Some of these prophets, you know the story of Jonah, but some of these prophets, you don't know the name so well. They've got the, the greater and the lesser prophets, but I want to assure you that has nothing to do with the message. Greater is just, there's more to it, and the, the lesser, there's less, you know, fewer. There's five major prophets, and I believe 13, thank you, 12, 12 minor prophets. Um, but Jonah, 3, 8 through 10, it says, let everyone turn away from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw that they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster they had said he would do to them and he did not do it. Now what's interesting is some of these prophets reminded God of his promises, okay? You made a promise to Noah, oh yeah. You think God really needed to be reminded of what his promise? I think there's some, there's some message there even in that. Prophet Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. It's a great image. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. This mighty warrior that saves is so gentle and loving. He's just gonna celebrate you. And Nehemiah 917, you are God ready to forgive. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. You know, when you look at a relationship as something that cannot be broken, I'm not saying shouldn't be broken, I'm saying cannot be broken. For, for example, if you take the word divorce out of your marriage, you just say that word does not exist, it is not an option, it's not something we're gonna speak, then you have no other option than to make it work. This gives you a motivation to fight, not with each other, but to fight for your relationship. If you're going to be married forever, you might as well be happy. Now, that sounds like a concession, but it's a pretty good one, right? If you say, we're going to make this work, there's no other option, so let's be happy. 
Now, I'm not a prophet, but I share those words with every couple that I counsel. It's not only good advice for a personal relationship, but it's modeled after God's love for us. It's only worded this way. When God looks at our relationship with him as one that cannot be broken, such as these covenant promises we talked about to love us forever, then he understands that he will do whatever it takes to keep that promise and restore that relationship. There is no other option. So as a result, God has repeatedly rescued us from from ourselves, mostly. But isn't it wonderful that we have a God that is committed to keeping that promise? You know, as humans, we show love in many ways and, and each of us has our own specific way that we show love and recognize love. And there's a book called Love Languages, the five love languages, you may be familiar with it. There's another one I think captures it well. It's called His Needs or Her Needs. It talks about emotional needs and, and it takes the same approach. And some of these it includes like at giving gifts, right? Some people are just wonderful gift givers and some are wonderful gift receivers. Um, there's acts of love and service. There's quality time together and there's physical touch and there's words of affirmation, ad, words of affirmation, admiration. And, and it's interesting because some of the disconnects in relationships would be, I, I love you. Well, how do you show me love? Well, well, I do things for you. And, and, and you think that that's how they should show love back, but it's, it's, that's not necessarily how they're wired. But we do, we, we kind of think that the way we view love is how love should be given to us. And when we do that, we might inadvertently impose on God our understanding of what his love should be for us. Well, he should give me gifts. He should do things for me. He should spend quality time with me. I don't know how he does the physical touch, but, you know, and, and words of aff- affirmation. So we, we can't necessarily make him do these things that we as humans say, that is how you are supposed to love. Because if we knew how to love perfectly, we'd be doing it already. But I took a minute just to kind of think about how God might be doing some of these things and how we could be doing a a job of recognizing these means of expression. I say God does give us gifts. We, We call them blessings. And you know, some blessings are just the provisions to live. We forget about that. We, we think we're blessed when we have a windfall in money or, or this happened or an abundance or a bounty of that. But you know what? Having roof over our head, having clothes on our, our back, even if stylish or not, having food in our stomachs, air in our lungs, God has provided these blessings. He has given you a gift. And he does acts of service. He keeps these covenants, promises with us. Discipline is an act of service. Right? The Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, son, he delights it. The father, the son, he delights it. That's from Proverbs. It's a words of wisdom. Because you discipline, you set boundaries with people you love because you want to keep them safe. You want to keep them protected. You want to raise them right. Talk about an act of service. John 3 16, right? You sent a son, which became an enduring sacrifice. Quality time, yeah, he does that. He will meet you wherever you are. If you're here on Sunday morning, you say, God, are you here? Yeah, I'm here. Walking home, I got to here. Yeah, stuck in traffic, pumping gas, right before bed, I am here. He spends quality time, he loves that. And he remains with you. In fact, Isaiah 41, 10, the prophet, fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. He says, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
you don't feel like you need his help at that moment, it's because you've already been getting it. Because you're in a good place. How does God touch your life? Well, he sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. You ever felt an overwhelming sense of peace, especially when it defies all logic? It's touching your heart. And he speaks to you. It's been written for you. He speaks through others. You ever get that word of encouragement that the person says the right thing at the right time you need to hear? That nudging? You ever been that to someone else? You ever prayed to God and he's talked back? Now, I, I joked the other night, you know, the voice in my head, I have two voices in my head. One sounds like her. The other one sounds like George Burns. I think we're all old enough to know what that means. God doesn't sound like George Burns. Sometimes it's a whisper. Sometimes it's an image. Sometimes it's an overwhelming sense. You know, so when we pray during offering time, God, what is it you need me to do? He may not say, thou shalt give more money or thou shalt go volunteer. He might just say, put something on your mind. That's God speaking to you. And all these times is a part we play, right? We recognize God for what he's doing. We thank him for who he is. We accept these wonderful gifts. And we return it with kindness, with obedience. Obedience to him, obedience to do what he's asked us to do in our lives and for others. And this is a good model for our prayers and in the way we lead, lead our lives. But I want you to listen to some more of the words of the prophets who reflect on God's love for us. It's this. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We're recognizing you, O Lord, we're thankful. We're accepting that steadfast love and that faithfulness. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. He says, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love for you have seen my troubles and you are care about the anguish of my soul. From Isaiah 43, one through three, he says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Scripture is full of these promises, these foretellings of what obedient life is met with. Prophet Ezekiel 34, 15 through 16, it says, I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. Man, we have a powerful God. It's so good he's on our side. Last one, Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Can you hear the promises of love spoken in each of these? Friends, you are the benefactor of these promises. In Isaiah 62, 6, I hinted that this a minute ago. Says, he tells us to put the Lord in remembrance of his promise. Lord, you told me you were going to take care of this. Lord, you told me you were going to be there with me. That's okay. He wants you to do that. Hold him accountable. He's saying, yes, just ask. 
I were to sum up all of this in a few bullet points, I'd say God loves you too much to let you mess up his plans, right? So don't rush in and try to do your thing your way. I, I, he loves you too much to let you ruin the relationship. So he's gonna hold you accountable for your sins because he's gonna want you to be holy so he can have that close relationship with you. God loves you too much to let you fail at the important things in your life. He's gonna let you do it over and over again if he has to until you get it right. We talked about this morning, 10,000 hours to develop a new habit. Oh, mercy, or to be an expert at something. But he loves you too much to not put you through that cycle. He loves you too much to not grow your faith. That means he's gonna allow you to uh, go through some stuff. He's gonna stretch a little bit. He's not even gonna let you stand still in your faith sometimes. And you know what? Sometimes he's gonna love you so much that he's not gonna tell you what he's up to. Lord, where are you in this? Lord, how much longer am I gonna have to endure this? Lord, how much longer am I gonna have to wait for this? He loves you too much to let you know what that's gonna be because he's got a plan better than you can understand. You see, God wants a personal relationship with you so much that he will meet you where you are. He will care, he cares about you so much that he won't leave you alone and he loves you too much to leave you how he found you. And there are certain things that God simply can't do. He cannot compromise his holiness and I'm quite certain that he can't stop loving us. Through prophecies, God told us that he would love us forever, never abandon us, and will send a Messiah to rescue us and restore our relationship with him. Now we have the benefit of knowing what he has done. Jesus is coming. We anticipate the arrival of the Christ child, our Savior. Through his actions, God's actions, including the sacrifice of his son, we have security in God's love now. Let's consider the prophet's example of recognition and gratitude, acceptance and obedience as we pray. Let's, will you join me in prayer, please? God, we recognize you for who you are, the great commander, the great creator, the great loving protector. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do for us, the blessings, the way you move in our life, the, the way you have to sometimes move behind the scenes, leaving us wondering when and how you're gonna respond. But Lord, we thank you again for knowing that you will. And Lord, we accept your gift of grace and mercy. And I know it's important that we do this because you say, respond in faith. We accept that gift. And Lord, we're gonna do our best. We're gonna be so obedient. We're gonna follow the, the commandments. We're gonna, we're gonna follow the great commission. We're gonna be disciples and we're gonna learn to disciple others and we're gonna grow this faith. We're gonna help others grow in their faith and we're gonna grow this church. Lord, but you promised there'd be troubles in this world. So Lord, we know there'll be times that we don't recognize you for who you are, what you've done. We don't thank you for what you've done for us our actions and maybe even our words are contrary to us accepting Jesus as our savior as we try to do things on our own, as we feel guilt and shame for our, our humanness. And Lord, we're not gonna completely be obedient. We just wish we could, we really want to, but Lord, we just, we fail. So we thank you again for being the God you are. 
we accept again that grace of mercy, the gift of mercy, and we again will try to be obedient and we will repeat this cycle. Father, thank you so much for your son who came to save us all from ourselves. It's in his son's name we pray. Amen. As is the tradition on the first Sunday of the month, we celebrate the Holy Communion. And the communion is, is, is a reenactment, a, a symbolic reenactment of the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. When Jesus had, had spent years in ministry, just a few years in ministry, and at the end he was, he was in this upper room with his disciples, and he predicted that one would betray him, and one certainly had. And he would tell his disciples, I'm leaving you soon. And they were troubled. Where is it you're going, Lord? Surely your work on earth is not done, and it wasn't. But he says, where I'm going, you can't go with me now. He says, but I'm going to prepare a place. And the story of Christmas is so powerful because of the story of Easter. Jesus wasn't just a prophet, right? Jesus was the Savior. He was the Messiah. He was the fulfillment of those prophecies. And he stood up there in that upper room and he prayed and he gave thanks and he took a loaf of bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He said, take and eat. And he gave thanks again and he took wine and he said, this is my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. The old has not gone away. He says, it's been fulfilled. I didn't come to abolish the laws. I didn't come to abolish the prophets, but to fulfill them, to bring them completion. His purpose on earth, his mission in heaven is to have all of us join there. He went ahead to bring this, to prepare that place for us. So this Sunday, Sherry's gonna pass around the, the, the cups. As we celebrate communion, we are gonna commune with the Lord. And what that means is we are going to prayerfully Say, God, I am here. I thank you. I recognize you. I appreciate you. And I accept you. And if you can say, Lord, I accept you. I accept this wonderful gift. Then please participate. There is no other requirement than to say, Jesus, I accept you. So, Sherry, would you do that as you listen to the song?